So let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I feel like I can't hear myself really well, so I'm yelling. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that's better there. John 4, we're going to be looking in verses 27 through 42 today. When I was a little boy living in Middle Tennessee, some of my greatest memories, I used to love to go to my grandparents in, in Murfreesboro. Oh, I, I spent many, many a summer playing on their, their 10 acres of property there. I think one of the things that used to fascinate me, they had these three gigantic, huge oak trees that were so big you could literally you could park a car behind them and you could you could hide the car and I used to look at these trees and play around these trees and I used to I used to wonder how old they were and I used to look at the trees and think I wonder what history they have seen and I wonder who planted these trees and I wonder how they were planted and and I used to be fascinated as a little boy when I would look on the ground and I'd see thousands of acorns and I'd pick one up and think, how in the world could something so big as this tree come from something so small as a seed of an acorn? So I thought to myself, I want, I want to do that. I, I want to grow a tree like that. And so I took an acorn and I went to the back of the property where there was a fence and I, and, and I remember planting the seed there, because I thought, well, if I put it by a fence when the seed sprouts, it's going to have a greater chance of not being disturbed and it can grow. And I, I tell you, I can close my eyes today and I can see myself as a little boy kneeling before that fence and planting that, um, that acorn. And I remember this very thought, I thought, you know, it's going to take how many years for the tree to grow? And I'm going to forget all about this time. And maybe... 30 or 40 or 50 years later, I'm going to come back and I'm going to see right there in that place a monstrous tree. And I'm going to say, hey, I I planted that. We've been looking in the story here in in John chapter 4. You know the parable of the good Samaritan. Well, this is what I'd call the story of the the not so good Samaritan. And this is an, an incredible encounter in the first half that we looked at of chapter 4 of this conversation that Jesus has with a, with a woman who is a Samaritan woman at, the, at Jacob's well near this, the city of, of Sychar. And Jesus pours into her by his words living water. She was empty. She was incredibly thirsty. And so we see this masterful example of Jesus of of. Of, of what it means and, and how to do it and what to do as far as the art of the making of a disciple. And we're looking at that because that's, that's our calling. That's what God has called us to do as followers of his, to be, be makers of disciples, making disciples of all nations, bringing people from light, from darkness into light and from, from death and despair into hope and new life. And now it's the first half of this chapter. And so now we're going to look today in the second half of the chapter and what you see in this teaching is Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's, he's reflecting back on this time with this woman. He's basically teaching about the art of the making of the disciples and he compares it to that of which I did as a little boy. It's just like planting a seed and giving it time and waiting for that seed to grow and produce into something that's incredibly miraculous and amazing. 
This passage we're going to look at here in verse 27 through 42, you, could, you would take it, it's, it's got two sections to it, but they're not really clean sections. They're, they're interwoven together. And from these two sections, Jesus is teaching us, this is how you make disciples of all nations. He shows us, first of all, from the example of this woman, the Samaritan woman. And then secondly, we see his teaching of the making of disciples as he reflects back over his story with this Samaritan woman. And he's talking to his disciples. So that's what we're going to do. We're, look, we're going to look at these two sections. We're going to start looking at, this, at the example and the model of the Samaritan woman. We'll pick up her story. She's spent this time with Jesus and she's come to get water. And now in chapter 4, in verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Verse 30, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. If you remember from last week and the week before, she, she came to the well with her jar to get water. And now she left her jar and went back to town. It's like she forgot all about it. There's something else that's just consumed her thoughts. Something of greater importance. We also talked about, maybe you unpacked this in your life groups, that she had come at 12 at noon. Nobody came at 12 at noon to get water, but she came at 12 at noon because she didn't want to see anyone else. She was avoiding being seen by others because the others viewed her as, as a shameful outcast due to her immoral lifestyle. But now she's in town and she's talking to everyone. Something Something in this woman has drastically changed. You know, what is it? What is driving her? And you don't get the impression that somewhere along the way in Jesus' discussion with her, he said, well, you know, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you're, you really need to be sharing your faith. You don't get the impression that that's what was driving her. You don't get the impression that like you, you're sitting out there listening to me and that she heard a sermon and she said, okay, this is what I'm, what I'm supposed to do. But there was something. We sing it. A fire. It was burning. It was like instinctive. Listen, if you leave today, if you leave today and and you're sitting here going, well, all right, he's right. This is what I'm supposed to do. You don't get it. You don't get it. She wasn't doing what she was supposed to do. She got it. She, She didn't completely understand it, but what she understood, she had found the Christ and she she couldn't help but share it with others. If if my life is not instinctively devoted to sharing Christ with others, it's fair to ask, have have I truly found him? And so we see from the example of this woman, it's all people, the Holy Spirit says, this is it. Take a look at this woman. This is discipleship. Being a Christian, a follower of Jesus is not simply about being saved for the sake of being saved. It's being saved for the sake of being an instrument of God to save others. Inherent in the the very DNA of being a disciple is being a disciple maker. Inherent in being a follower of Jesus is seeking and saving the lost because that's who he is. That's what he did, and that's what he does. And so if your life is not seeking and saving the lost, you, you may be a Christian according to our secular American definition of a Christian, but you're not following 
Jesus. And so this woman, the response is incredible. She, she's not ashamed anymore. She's telling everybody, and we read in verse in verse 30, they came out of the town and they made their way towards him. Then we got to jump. I told you, it's kind of not in perfect order. Verse 39, look at their response. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This is incredible. This woman who had a, a very sketchy past and a very questionable lifestyle just led almost her whole town to Jesus and her example, her example, it, it, it destroys whatever reasons we don't share our faith. What other reasons, whatever excuses we use. I'm not, I'm not good enough. Who, who am I? Like, who, who am I to tell others what to do? Listen, this woman was just at this moment coming out of an immoral relationship and that was on the heels of, of five other men that she had been involved with. She just led people in her town to Christ. God used her. If, if you're thinking, well, I'm just not good enough, Here, here's the irony of that, that, that makes you approachable. That as you share your faith with others, you're not saint on a lofty pillar people look at you're someone that they can relate to I'm not good enough or maybe you've said to yourself before I'm just not ready if anyone could say if anyone should say man I'm not ready it would be this woman but she was well they're they're not ready they were they're not going to listen. <laughs> They're not going to listen to me. They did. Well, they're not, they're not really interested. They were. Well, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, what do you say? I don't know what to say. This woman had or sharing your faith. She had had an encounter with Jesus. Something had happened. He had so impacted her life that she didn't have a problem figuring out what to say. It was bubbling up within her. It wasn't a sermon. It was a story. His story as it intersected with her story. I'm not trying to convince you. We all need to be up here and preach at this podium. We all have a story of Jesus and his love. He called us to tell that story. But Eddie, there's, there's so much 
So much I don't know. Don't you think there was a lot she didn't know? She was even, she, she was even going like, could, could this be the Christ? She wasn't even completely understanding it. There was so much she didn't understand, but God used her. Can you imagine taking these excuses that we use as a person who's just been rescued from drowning in a river? Someone's thrown us a life preserver. We're standing on the side of the banks and we're looking at other people that are drowning and we're thinking to ourselves or we're saying to others, I... I, uh, I'm just, I'm not ready. I mean, like, who am I to tell them that they're drowning when I was just drowning a few minutes ago? I don't have the right to, well, that's judging. They're not going to listen. They're not interested. I don't know what to say. Like, who cares that you don't know what to say? Say something. Do something. Here's a, here's a life preserver. But, but I, I don't, I'm not a lifeguard. I, I can't save people. I'm, I can't. Can you imagine her? I can't make disciples. She didn't. Jesus did. It doesn't say she went home and with an incredibly persuasive sermon, she led everybody to faith. No, it says she says, come and see the Christ. She led them to the one who could give faith, the one who can transform lives. That's our objective. If you're intimidated by this whole idea of it, is to get them into the presence of Christ. He changes lives. And you do that through living Jesus before them and through speaking his words and telling his story as it, as it intersects with your story of all the people the Holy Spirit would say, I want you to look at this woman. It was this not so good Samaritan that is an incredible model of our calling to make disciples of all nations. And it's kind of like God is saying through this story, hey, listen, if she can, <laughs> surely, certainly you can. So that's the first part of this section. Then the second part of this section is, is Jesus now, he's kind of huddled up with his disciples and they're looking, he's looking back on his interaction with this woman and he's teaching them some powerful truths. Oh, there's more here than I had time for. But let's look, we pick it up in, with the disciples in verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Can you imagine that? But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? By Jesus' example, first of all, he taught his disciples to cross all barriers. This could be four or five, six weeks sermon series just here on what Jesus did on the history and what Jack was saying, this whole turning the world upside down and changing his culture. Because in Jesus' culture and the time of his day, Jesus being a man and Jesus being a Jew, he should not have been speaking to this woman for two very sinful and sick reasons. First of all, he shouldn't have been speaking to her because she was a filthy half-breed heretic of a Samaritan. That's racial discrimination. And he shouldn't have been speaking to her because she was, she was a woman. That's gender discrimination. That was going on. I don't know 
we called it junior high. We call it middle school now. When I was that age, one of the upstanding widows of our church, whose husband had been an elder for many years, was standing at the entrance to the door of the auditorium where I went to church. And, and a black man walked through the door, and she whispered to her friend, What's he doing here? That's the attitude that was at play here with the Jews to the Samaritans. I remember, I remember saying to someone, I think Karen and I are going to go to Papua New Guinea and we want to serve as missionaries there. And someone tried to discourage us by saying, why would you do that? They, they don't have souls. Did you say that? Like wrapping my head with duct tape before it explodes. Did you say that? I remember, and it's crazy, I remember one time we're going on a mission trip to, um, to New Hampshire. A little short-term campaign, right? And someone said to me, well, why do you want to spend time with those Yankees? <laughs> it's so sick. And you go, well, that was 30 to 40 years ago. In the deep south. But listen to whatever degree. Any of that still resides in me. In you. In us. Jesus by his example. And saying that has no place in followers of Jesus. These disciples didn't have the guts to say it. But they were thinking what is he doing talking with her. And Jesus by his example is asking what are you doing not talking to her. Jesus teaches them to break down all barriers and then he gets into teaching about discipleship through teaching it from what we call the principle of the harvest no this has got a lot we'll just touch on a little bit of it let's look in verse 31 meanwhile his disciples urged him rabbi eat something but he said to them I have food to eat that you know nothing about I wish I had 30 minutes to talk about how he was weary and tired at the beginning of this story, he poured himself out and now he's well fed. It filled him with sustenance and service. But we won't talk about that. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four more months than the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus is, is talking about discipleship and the making of disciples. And he's using it in this metaphor of the principle of the harvest. And the first thing he talks about is what I would call the, um, the principle of receptivity. It's very important. Jack kind of mentioned it earlier in our thoughts at Communion. He says, look at the fields that are ripe for harvest. It's very interesting. Palestine was a very rocky place. There wasn't a lot of great agriculture going on. But in the city of Sychar, even today you can go there. They're very well known for their cornfields. And so it's highly likely historians will say that as Jesus says, look at the fields, that he's waving, his, his pointing his hands towards these waving fields of corn that was growing. All the fields are ripe for harvest. Or even more likely than that, it's possible he was pointing towards, remember this woman went to Sychar and says, you got to come see this guy. And so they're all coming from this town. These Samaritans are all coming to see Jesus. It could be Jesus saying, look, look at this. To the surprise of the stuck-up churchgoers of Judea, the sinful heretics 
of Samaria were actually very interested and open to Jesus. Someone just needed to invite them. Honestly, most of us would look at this woman and just keep going because don't waste your time. She's messing around. She's not open. She's not interested. But she was. Someone, someone just needed to go to her. This is a huge, horrible excuse we make. Well, I mean, I would, but they're just not interested. I think, I think that's more about us than it is about them. Thomas Rainier, in his book, The Unchurched Next Door, he writes that most new people in the United States, they don't come to church out of the blue and like, oh, I think I'll go to church. He says, no, it doesn't happen like that. He says they come because someone invited them. Now listen, according to research, 82% of the unchurched, that means people that they don't go to church somewhere else and we bring them here instead, or they moved in, they went to a church somewhere else. These are un, no faith, unchurched. There's a bunch of them here in town. Don't be fooled by our city, bunch of them. He says 82% of the unchurched are likely to attend if a friend, coworker, neighbor, or family member invited them. That means eight out of every 10 people you meet who don't know Christ would come to church if you would invite them. That's awesome. But with that says some really bad news, according to this guy's research in his book, The Unchurched Next Door. He goes on to say that only 2%, 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. That means the huge majority of us here don't invite people here. 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year. That means if you don't see anyone new at church, it's because they're not being invited. And I know that's true. It's not like just because someone comes to church, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're getting them to Jesus, but it's a start. And I, and I will promise you, not everything, but I will promise you this, if you'll get them here, We'll expose them to Jesus and his teaching. You will always hear me say, it's not coincidental. It is intentional when I get up and I say, take your Bibles and turn to, because it's important to me. It's important to the leadership of the church that we expose people to Jesus Christ and the power of his word. The fields, Jesus says, first of all, they're ripe for harvest. And therefore, and this is a brief point, but it, it, it's worth making Jesus in teaching on the principle of the harvest. He teaches something about urgency. And, and, and he makes this point. You always want to notice little repetitive phrases, not crazy repetitive, but it is mentioned twice. Verse 36, even now, even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. Even now. Even now, you may say, I'm not ready. Well, they are. Even now. And Jesus goes on, and as he talks about the principle of the harvest, he, he speaks of um, this partnership between the one who sows and the one who harvests. Let's look at that. Verse 36. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I have sent you to sow what you have not 
worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Oh, there's just so much here to, to speak about. It's important, first of all, to understand if there's going to be a harvest, there has to be sowing. And regarding the sowing, there's a really important point that it's, if, if you're intimidated, it's, it's not about you and your skill and your ability. It's about there's something, there's something miraculous that God has given to the seed of his word and the spirit in your life. It's not about the farmer's ability, but it's about the wonder of the seed. It really, think about it, it doesn't take a lot of skill to throw seed out there. One time when I was probably 10 or 11 or 12, I got a pumpkin and I was cutting it out, getting it ready for, for the holidays. And I was carving it up and I just took the insides of the pumpkin. I dumped them under this bush over there and, and we had our pumpkin. And then sometime later, there was this monstrous, huge pumpkin patch with all these new pumpkins and you went Eddie how did you do that it was like that it's just like that that's what I did you would be shocked you'd be surprised what God would do if you would do something Jesus says oh this is huge because you get discouraged that often the one who sows never gets to see the pumpkin patch. They never get to see the fruit of, of their work. Jesus says, I sent, you to, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. That's tough. You work and work and work, nothing comes for it. And why even keep trying? You may not see it in your lifetime. I'm kind of thinking in that context, because I'm sitting there going, I'm looking at the story like, man, that woman was just ready to go. Jesus talked to her, boom, she believes. I think according to the teaching of Jesus, there must have been someone else who had sown seed into her life, into her heart years before. And she resisted, oh yeah. And she pushed that seed down. Then she was ready. And then Jesus also speaks of the principle of hard work. He says in verse 34, he speaks of the word work. Some of your translations say labor. He says, others have done the hard work. We're looking for, is there a book that gives us an easy way to do this? There isn't. This isn't easy. But it doesn't just like happen. It's hard work. And I understand that. When we lived, as, thank you, Ted, for praying for me. We moved to the mission field in the Czech Republic. It is the second most non-religious country in the world with a language ranking in the top five of the world's most difficult languages for English speakers to learn. It's really hard. And it's still really hard work. But let me tell you something. This week, as I spend time with, with Lucia and Yaro and and Tomas and, and Martina and Vera and Jenschik and, 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 and Libor and, and Darina and all their children. It was worth every bit of the hard work. It's a, it's a principle. It's a principle of the harvest. So, so you remember that story I told you about the acorn? Well, about two years ago, She's not here. About two years ago, I was, I was visiting my father in Middle Tennessee, in Franklin, Tennessee. And at that time, Tanya Cooper's father, Randy Snoddy, who used to be a member here, he passed away. And he originally was from Manchester, Tennessee. Tanya knew I was with my dad in Franklin, which is a couple hours in Manchester. And she said, Eddie, could you 
go to Manchester and do the funeral memorial service of my dad. And so could I, would I? What an honor indeed. And so my dad lives in Franklin. Manchester is over here. And right in the middle of the journey is Murfreesboro, Tennessee, my old grandparents' uh, home place. And I thought, you know, I haven't been there in like 30 or 40 years. I'm going to stop by and just walk around and reminisce and take some pictures and send them back to my sister and my dad and Karen. So I drive from uh, Franklin and I'm on my way to Manchester and, and I get to Murfreesboro and I, I find Granny and Pa's old, old home place. And as I'm pulling in, the very thing that I thought I would do when I was a little boy happened. I mean, you know, I planted an acorn here when I was like seven or eight years old. And I got out of the car, and I looked in the location where I had planted that acorn. And there, standing, towering majestically towards the skies, was a multi-story office building. (laughs) Surrounded by concrete and asphalt. Like, seriously? Oh, man, no goosebumps. Like, the whole illustration is blown, right? Except, except, have you ever seen, have you ever seen a crack in the asphalt or concrete that happened because underneath there was a seed that was planted and it just started growing and it broke through the crack. That's this woman's story. That's, that's, uh, that's my story. For years, people planted seeds of faith in God's word into my life. And one of them was an, an elderly widow lady. She taught my Sunday school when I was in junior high, middle school. And I don't remember how old she was, but to me, she was something about 150. She was like... She just was old, and she was frail, and, and she was weak, and she had a weak voice, and she was, I remember her teaching us the book of Acts, and the journeys of Paul, the missionary, and, and I remember her telling her life stories they, as they intersected with the stories of Acts. I remember Mrs. Moore. But then when I was about 13, I just started pouring concrete and asphalt over all that over all the seeds. I poured concrete and asphalt over the seeds of faith my parents had planted. You know, my dad, this is Father's Day, my dad said one sentence to me that I'll never forget, and it's, and it's, and it's still influenced me to this day. But when I was 13, I started pouring asphalt over that. Asphalt of rebellion, immorality, wild living, and defiance. And Mrs. Moore died and she, all she remembered was the rebel at the church, Eddie White, and how he got kicked out of high school and how he got arrested and got in all kinds of trouble. She remembers in me a concrete parking lot, and that's it. But years later, God brought someone else into my life who harvested in my life the fruit of her work and the fruit of my father's work and the work of so many others, but Miss Moore. She never saw it. Little did she know that I'd be telling you about her today.
Little did she know that I'm getting on a plane tomorrow to go to a foreign country to tell people about Jesus because she taught me about how that happened in the book of Acts. It's the principle of the harvest, the making of a disciple from the most unlikely of characters. Church, the fields, even now, even now, are ripe for the harvest. They're in these classrooms. May we go to our children. May we go beyond the walls of this building and the walls of our homes to the broken and thirsty people of our world and sow the seeds of our faith in God's word, sharing the living water of Jesus Christ to a thirsty world, inviting them to come and see by Jesus in our lives, to come and see by Jesus through our words, that God through us, like he did through the Samaritan woman, the most unlikely of characters, may lead people to a saving faith in Jesus Christ that they may proclaim as these people from Samaria proclaimed, now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Let's pray. Let's stood, stand with me if you would, please. Father, you are incredible. And we just love the way And imagine what you did on this day for this woman, but we thank you for it. For, for giving her water, living water, for pouring into your grace and your mercy and your love, for helping her to see what she didn't see in herself, her worth and her value in your eyes. Oh, Father, we pray to you. You've taught us to pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into your harvest field. And so we offer ourselves to you. Send us out. Give us the eyes and hearts of Jesus, hearts of love and compassion to cross all barriers and see the broken and thirsty people in our world, in our neighborhoods. Oh God, may they come to know you through seeing you in us. And may you speak through us into the emptiness and thirst of their lives, your words of living water. We pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, send out harvesters, send us even now. And the truth be told, there are many of us within the walls of this location now who come to you with brokenness and thirst. And so, Father, we offer up this song to you as a prayer. And I'm going to ask that our shepherds be available in the aisles to, to receive anyone this morning that's come that needs someone to pray with. And if you know someone, this is a chance to go up to them and pray with them. Let's, let's go before God in prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.